Morning, everyone. I wonder if you know what this is. Uh, no, it's not a candle stick holder. Many of you know I, I love a nice scented candle. Uh, that's not what it is. Um, nor is it an ornamental toilet plunger, which does look a bit like that, let's be honest. This is an antique Roman glass tear collector from allegedly the first century AD. Uh, the antiques website that I found would uh, charge you $750 for this if you were to buy it just now. Uh, I wasn't aware until this week that there was such a thing as a tear collector, uh, but there is, sometimes known as a tear catcher. Um, and various cultures, it seems, have used these things in different ways over thousands of years, but most attribute their beginnings as rising out of one particular verse in the psalm that we're looking at today, which is Psalm 56, which Marjorie read from us. And in this psalm, King David, as we're going to see, is having so many different troubles and difficulties. And then in verse 8, he says this to God. I'm going to read it from the NLT for just now. He says, You, God, you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. I love this verse of scripture. I'm tempted to say it's one of my favorites, but people always get me into trouble for saying I've got too many favorites. Um, I want to share with you this morning why I hope you can come to love this verse as well and find great hope and comfort from this verse. But also this morning, I want us to see that this verse in and of itself is not enough. We need more than just this verse about God collecting our tears in his bottle. We need more and we can indeed have more as children of the living God. But first of all, let's look and try and understand what's going on in this psalm. We see that David, King David, who wrote this psalm, is having a horrible time. The title of the psalm mentions him having been seized in a place called Gath. You can read a little bit about David's time in Gath in 1 Samuel 21. We don't get a lot of detail there, though, to be honest, about as, as to what is actually happening in his life. But we know from this psalm how difficult a time it was that he was having. You know, over verses one to five, we, we hear things like he's trampled on and oppressed by attackers. He, they're, they're attacking him proudly. They're, they're twisting his words. All their thoughts are against him for evil. And then we get to, to verse six and it says this, they stir up these enemies of his, they stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps as they have waited for my life. And, and not only is he laying out some of, of what's coming against him in the psalm, but he's emphatic in how he describes it. Bad things are happening to him, verse 1, all day long. Verse 2, all day long, these things are coming at him. Verse 5, all day long, they injure my cause. They twist my words is another way to, to translate that. This is a psalm full of lament. Now, we read the Bible one of the things that we should do is say, well, how do we relate to this? Now, of course, none of us can relate exactly to David's particular circumstances here. We, we, we can all relate, though, to the feeling of being under attack. Now, we'll come to look at that more generally in a moment. But before we come to think of that, let's not skip past the fact that in way more than just a figurative sense, this psalm does capture the experience of a devastatingly large number of people around the world. For some people, 
in, in, in parts of Scotland today and certainly in different parts of the world, there is a tragically literal sense in which these verses capture what life is like. So, for example, if we're speaking about something like domestic violence, which has seen a huge increase over this time of lockdown, they could relate to these words very literally. Or perhaps we could think of relentless psychological abuse that some people are subjected to. Or, or, or even something like bullying. You know, that happens to all ages. But we think of the kids going back to school this weekend and some of them will be terrified of what is waiting for them. Who, who might be, as it says in verse 6, lurking for them. Or certainly as we think about other parts of the world. We've already prayed this morning for the Uyghur people. Or we think regularly about the work that IGM do and, and how there are over 40 million people in different types of slavery around the world. And as we think about all of that, we should be so thankful that there are passages of scripture like this that so starkly capture the cries of those deep in need around the world for millions of people all day long. They're trampled, all day long treated unfairly, all day long watched, oppressed, with even their lives in danger. And, and friend, know that God's heart is for those people. And we see that even in just how many passages there are in the scripture that capture their cries that they might raise to this God of ours. But maybe we can't personally relate to those types of attacks, or certainly not all of them. But there are different battles that we face. There are different struggles that we encounter. For many in our land just now, their bodies have had to fight, have had to battle against a virus. Or some among us are facing battles, not with coronavirus, but with other serious illnesses just now. For others among us, their oppression has not been violent or physical, but it has been through the darkness of anxiety and depression. Others are battling grief and loss. And for so many, now and in the coming months, the lurking enemy that they are going to be facing is that of joblessness and financial strife. For all of us, there are battles that we face. I can say for all of us because, as well as those that I've just listed there, the Bible is very clear that all of us in this world are in a spiritual battle. As we think about spiritual battles, there is both an internal and an external element to that. There is an internal side to this where, for example, in Romans 7, 1 Peter 2, it speaks of a war that is going on within us, where our sinful nature is, is, is trying to, to lead us away from God's ways, back to the captivity of sin. I'm sure we can all relate to this. When, when we know what is right, we know what is good and what's best for us. But there's this battle that goes on every single day. And often that battle can leave us feeling, as it says in Psalm 56, trampled, oppressed. So there's this internal battle that we sometimes face. But there, the Bible also says that there's a, there's a sort of cosmic aspect to this spiritual battle. In Ephesians 6 verse 12, it says this, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
And dear friends, we must keep our eyes open to this reality. And we better believe that these dark spiritual powers, again to quote Psalm 56, that uh, it says in verse 5 and 6, that their thoughts are against me for evil. These dark spiritual forces, they stir up strife, as it says in verse 6. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. We're in a battle. Have you been conscious of that recently? I have. I have. Have you? Think about it for a moment. Name it to God. What are the enemies that you have faced in your life? Real, physical, or or spiritual? Internal or external? What is the nature of the battle that you are facing today or for this coming week? Name it to God. Name it. I encourage you to do that on the basis of this psalm. One of the things we can learn from this psalm is that we can bring our issues to God. King David just lists them. And we need to do that sometimes. We need to be conscious of where we are before God and what we are facing this day or, or this week. We can sometimes become so oblivious of what is really going on in our lives, can't we? Maybe when things are good, we just kind of float along passively in, in, in relative comfort. Or, or maybe when things are, are not like that, we can become numb, irritated, frenzied, but still no real idea why, no real concept of what is going on. But if we are in a battle, then we better have some idea of the enemy that we're facing. Otherwise, we just end up flailing around. What are your enemies this week. Name them to God. Maybe you need to name them to a trusted brother or sister. Maybe you need to get in touch, as we've, as Harley's mentioned, the different ways to do that. Get in touch and, and ask for prayer. King David spends a lot of verses in this psalm just naming his problems to God, and so should we. Now, after we've done that, if you, have a, if you have a time of prayer and you list your troubles to God, God, this is going on, I've got this problem, this difficulty, what's the next thing we often do? Okay, God, you got those things. Now fix them, please. Take them away. Well, interestingly, King David doesn't do much of that in this psalm. He does in in verse 7. He cries out to God to act on his behalf at the second part of verse 7. In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. And, and, and in truth, it's not unusual to hear cries like that, especially in the psalms. But in this psalm, There are three main ways that King David responds to God in light of this battle before him. The first thing is this. He turns to God. He turns to God. Names the battles, names the struggles, and then he just turns his face towards God. Right at the start of the psalm, verse 1, be gracious to me, O God. Before God, look over there. Before God, look at that enemy. Before God, I need help here. He just starts by saying, God, be gracious to me. God, I need you. And then he starts to list the challenges. And, he, and he's not done yet, but by the time he gets through verses one and two, and then he gets to verse three, where he says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? 
And then he goes on. But I just love how right in the midst of him laying out the problems he's facing, there is this sort of childlike trust in God. Even where he says there, as it says in verse 4, the NIV puts it, what can mere mortals do to me? You know, I want to respond, well, actually, David, on the basis of what you're saying, uh, quite a lot, actually, you know, you're right in the process of telling us how they're out to kill you. But before asking God to deal with it, there is this turning to God. We don't know what David's tone is as he says, what can flesh do to me? Sometimes we, we, we have the courage and the ability from God to say that with bold confidence. Other times, sometimes there's an earnest concern. What can these enemies do to me? What is going to be my end? But through all of that, we see David's inclination to come to God, to rest in him. I want to encourage you, turn to God today. God, be gracious to me. God, I need you. Before asking him, more than asking him to deal with the issues, put your trust in God. The second main thing David does is he acknowledges God's care. He briefly calls for God to act in verse 7, but then he returns to the matter of his connection with God. But this time he's not praying for grace and mercy. He's not declaring his confidence in God or defiantly, defiantly putting his trust in God. But here in verse 8, he's just speaking of God's care. I read from the NLT before. The ESV says this, you have kept count of my tossings. Think of tossings and turnings in an anxious night when your, your, your brain is racing and you're struggling so deeply. Think of that anxiety that can come in those moments. He says, God, you kept count of all of that. And then he says, you have put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? God's collecting his tears. God's recording every single one in his book. And I don't know about you, but this is such a help to me. I mean, God doesn't waste any action. And to think that there is something about my tears and my anxious mind racing away or my tossing and turning anxiety riddled body, there is something that God sees fit to take note of. Precious friend, he sees you. No tear of yours goes unnoticed. And sometimes that is all that needs to be said. Sometimes we don't need a quick answer. We don't need a set of steps. We don't need a quick fix. We just need to know God cares, that God is there, that the king of the universe, every tear is known to him. And in some way, even precious to him, collected, recorded. If you've ever had a tear wiped away or if you've ever wiped away someone else's tear or if you've ever seen in the movie the, the, the intensely sad scene which comes to a climax when the tear rolls down the person, you know that there is something precious about tears. Well, God sees every one of your tears and he collects them. He records them. It's so helpful to know that the Lord of the universe responds in that way to us. But it's really not enough. We do need more than that. And the third thing then that David does is, yes, he acknowledges God's care. Yes, there's beauty in that. 
the wonder in that, but we need more than that, don't we? We need we need these tears to be gone. And David declares God's victory. He declares God's victory. That God acknowledges us in our pain is profoundly helpful and, a, and a, an incredibly beautiful reality. But our ultimate need and indeed our ultimate hope is that grief and pain will one day be no more for all God's children. And here in this psalm, David just starts to speak it out. It's the last verse. Sorry, it's not the last verse. Verse 9 of the psalm, he begins this section. He says, then my enemies will turn back. And, and it's, it's strange, isn't it? Because David, you've just said they're lurking for you. David, you've just said they're waiting for you. Uh, but but you've just said they're about to, to take your life. But King David is now saying, no, I know my God. I know what he's promised. They're turning back because this I know, verse 9, that God is for me. The New Living Translation, the message, put it like this. God is on my side. And there's not just sympathy for the children of God. There's victory for you, child of God. In, in, in the heart of God for you, there's not just understanding, not just comfort, not just strength, but there is victory, rescue, restoration, deliverance, deliverance. This is what King David speaks out in the last verse. Verse 13, you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. I love it when God drops a past tense on us. I mean, there is present tense pain all the way through this psalm. Oppression now, trampling all day long, strife being stirred up, lurking now. But what we see here and in so many places in the scripture is this. Present tense problems defeated by past tense deliverance that changes a lot for now and everything for the future. Present tense problems defeated, defeated by past tense deliverance that changes a lot for now and changes everything for the future. Dear friends, this is the Christian life. This is the tone of the New Testament. Our hope is in Jesus Christ and his life stands for us. His sacrifice is enough for us. His victory over death counts for us if we come to him, if we embrace him in repentance and faith, then we can say verse 13 with rock solid confidence. You have delivered my soul from death, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. How does this happen? It, through, it happens through Jesus dying the death that was ours on Calvary's cross. It happens through him rising to new life and sharing that with us. I am the light of the world. He who comes to me does not need to walk in the darkness, but can have the light of life, Jesus says. In, in, in him, there is no enemy that can stand against us. Not sickness, nor Satan, not depression, nor death, not failure, nor fear. Child of God, God's not just there for you. God doesn't just care for you. God's not just going to deliver you. He has delivered you. 
And we need to pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to see and to believe what is true and real. This is the life of faith. And it's faith not in in positive thinking or in, in personal development. It's faith in the finished work of Jesus. Don't give up because he never will. Amen.